if we were to read along, go back to the last chapter, that's chapter 12 and verse 28. Just kind of give a, a feel for where we're at with this, and then we'll dig into our text tonight. So we read this in verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. The church we're dealing with is a church very much like what we would be familiar with. It's a church that is self-centered, self-driven, about self-esteem, self-goal, self-realization, self, self, self. The word for that, by the way, in the day was carnal. Needless to say, that's not a real positive word. In the simplest sense, a person who puts themselves first, seeks themselves on all accounts, that's a person that Paul would say is acting like an unbeliever. And there are the churches of the unbelievers in that manner. Dedicated to making sure that you tell God what your goals are, your plans, your dreams, and then get God on board. But that's not what God intended because, let's be honest, we're way too dumb. We're way too unimaginative to write the script that God's going to write for our lives. It is beyond our recognition. It is beyond our ability to imagine what God has planned for each of us. And we think that we can tell God something because maybe it'll seem a little bit more comfortable for the moment. We are so robbing ourselves. So he starts the next chapter by telling us that I can talk all day and prophesy and be the most gifted theologian, have mountain-moving faith, sacrifice everything, die a torturous death, and then stand before God and have him evaluate my entire life and say, in reality, I said nothing, did nothing, and gained nothing in the sight of heaven. So the first three verses, in simplest sense, tell us how to be really, really religious and for no real profit at all. All the programs, debates, apologetics, natural, supernatural experiences given and received, magnanimous benevolence, feeding all the poor, inoculating all of Africa and all of the sick, all of the orphanage building, all of the homeless clothing, the disaster responding, uh, even if it, I thought it was love in action, if it's not with the name of Jesus it's not in the sight of eternity. Well, this is the way he says it. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clinging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. And for so many of us, we may think that all of that stuff is love from a Christian perspective. 
How do we become a loving church if all of this can be done and still not really be done with love? And we have all of our programs. We have all of our debates. We have all of our apologetics. We have all of our brilliance. We have all of our church buildings and, our, and all of those things that make the church so busy and make us feel so holy. And we spin around like whirling dervishes until we're nauseous and in the end of it all find ourselves accounting for nothing in the sight of eternity. And, and, and understand here, he goes then for the rest of the chapter just in the simplest sense to define what would it really look like if we actually loved the way Christ called us to. Peter defined it, I think, best in the sense in John 13 when he says that, why can't I follow you? No, I'm willing to lay down my life for your sake. And we really see that in John 13:37 as a really simple, very clear way of defining love. God crawled into our world and he died there is the way I've heard it. And might I just say it's laying down your life, listen, for the other's sake. That's the part that could be missed. Because you could still lay down your life for your own sake, oddly enough. To become a martyr. To be applauded. To become the next chief pastor, assistant pastor, whatever, pastor, deacon, archbishop, pope, whatever it is of your particular following. To become applauded, to be liked, to actually get the girl, to get the guy. And I, you hear stories all the time of people that give confession of why they joined the choir, not here, praise God. Why they came to church because Maneko was cute. Oh, that boy was cute. The pastor's son, it was the choir director, it was the whatever. And they were at church more than everyone, as long as the pastor's son, choir director, so-and-so was there. But they didn't do it for the Lord. And in all of that, he tells us, if you remember last week, when we just simply looked at love suffering long, we all kind of walked out of here going, oh man, I don't think I love like I thought I did. Good, we're on, we're on to something. But understand, it attached with the, the phrase, and is kind. And for what it's worth, Chris Steele mine. The word simply means, in essence, of the other's benefit, to show yourself useful or benevolent. And remember, that's the whole idea of what love really is. It's a laying down of your life for the other person's benefit. And the idea of suffering long and is kind is exactly that. Suffering long, laying down your life, and is kind for their benefit. That's the idea here. Which takes us then to tonight's text, Eight Things Love Doesn't, Isn't. So we better pray. Now, here's the thing. If you keep coming back, you're either a masochist or you really want to love the way Christ calls you to, or both. But I'm going with the middle one. That's my desire. My desire really is to be able to love the way Christ called me to love, which, by the way, is infinitely more demanding and absolutely impossible without him. So, Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let your scripture burst open and come alive. Fill us with the joy of your presence. Lord, the sweetness of that time in you. And, Lord, as we study this, we don't want to do this just to know and to grade others. And even, for that matter, to condemn ourselves, Lord, because we read that you're greater than our heart even when our heart condemns us. But rather, Lord, to go to the school of Jesus to become more like Jesus. And, Lord, there's nobody that's ever clearly, more clearly loved than you or ever will like you. Lord, we want to grow more and more and more and more like you, Jesus. Not more like the world, not more sedentary, not more cooling, not more Laodicean and lukewarm, but more on fire for you, more lit up, more passionate in you. 
more absolutely abandoned from this world, more absolutely full on for you, sold out, just unstoppably, imperviously, irreversibly, absolutely, totally, head first, heart first, arms wide open, feet just ready to go where you lead, eyes on you, in love with you. And for that to happen, Lord, we need to die. Thank you, you're in the business of resurrection. Killing the old and resurrecting something infinitely better. And Lord, we pray, not for a world's view of love, not for a warm like or an extra like, not for some little service where we keep score for our own benefit, but that absolute surrender for the other benefit, to lay down our life, to come into their world, to do as you called us to, to put them first. And Lord, that is not natural. That is supernatural. So Lord, as we see this, may we truly have our eyes open to see how you are manifesting this in our life. So Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit to do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak to every heart, every mind, every ear here so that we would be completely hearing you the way we should. So Lord, have your way now, I pray. Do your work. And may we have so much fun now in your text. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. Look at you. We've got this we've got a room full of people. It's a Wednesday night. It's been hot all day. We actually, right before this, sat out on a bench with the sun in our faces. Uh, three more days like that, you're going to think I'm Marcia's brother. And it's just what a wonderful time. And there's a lot of ways to look at this, beloved. And a lot of it can be very self-implicit. Oh, look how I'm not loving like I should. Look at how... And that can be an easy task to do. But what if we actually looked at it this way? Because now we're looking at things in essence that are more symptomatic. If you were loving, this would be or wouldn't be happening. The Lord told us, by the way, that we are to come to Him that he would never cast us away. He promised his disciples that he would give them his Holy Spirit, another helper that was with them but would be in them. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Having believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit, the moment you said yes, then you said yes to the gospel of your salvation. <clears throat> By the way, that is a really fun text because what it tells us is the moment you believe, before anything else happened. When you believed the gospel of your salvation, God placed within you His Holy Spirit guaranteeing your redemption. Before anything else could be done, before you could join a church, read the Bible, pray a thousand whatevers, before you could read any of those books, before you can watch this or learn a Christian song or learn how to play guitar for praise or whatever it is, for any of, any, any of that could happen, the moment you said yes, He sealed you with His Holy Spirit guaranteeing your inheritance. It is a gift of God. Praise God for that. And that Holy Spirit gets to work. That Holy Spirit, who was a person, was planted inside of you. And as He's planted inside you, He begins to grow and bear fruit. If you remember the story in the book of Numbers, and we're almost there, by the way, chapter 13, 14, 
when spies are sent into the promised land, that place that God had for his people. And they came in, and when they brought the report back to the people about where God wanted them, they didn't bring shoes or nice Babylonian garments. They didn't steal someone's couch or hijack someone's chariot to say, check out how cool this place is. Look at these spinning rims on this chariot. Wait till you hear the thumping sound system. That's not what happened. Do you know what they brought back? Fruit. That's what they brought back. They brought back fruit of the place God had intended for them to be. And the idea was simple. That if you would see how great the fruit was, you would want to be there. So there they go. Think of it, a cluster of grapes on a stick. How big do you think those grapes are? Like bowling balls. They're like, guys, check this out. Bite into this. Taste this. Because this is the fruit of the promised land. And the two men that we know, the only two men from that entire generation that will walk into that promised land, will be the two guys of, the, of 12 that testify of that fruit. Now the world is looking for a different place than where they're at. And they'd rather escape to Narnia. Or to Middle Earth. Or to Gotham. Or to Asgard or wherever it be. But we have a different place that God has called us to a place of total peace, a place of total forgiveness and abject, wonderful purity. And here's the crazy part. The Lord sends you back to the people to show them how great that place is where you're walking and where, you are, where, the, where the Lord has called you to be. How do you demonstrate that? That is why God tells us in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is. You realize love, which is the first of them, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they are the fruit of the promised land that you get to say, sink your teeth into this. This is what happens if we're where God wants us. So that others would actually go, oh, let's go there. It's the fruit of the promised land, beloved. Please hear me in this. If God has planted His Holy Spirit inside of you, that Holy Spirit, He is going to bear forth fruit. And the beginning of that is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. How do I know when I'm really loving? Here are some symptoms to take a look at to see. Today, what love isn't. What love doesn't. Eight of them. They'll all have a common theme by the time we're done. And we can ask ourselves two things. One is, what if I actually love the way Christ called me to? And this was more, you know, we would see that these particular things were not my behavior. The second is, what if as a church, as a family, we were like what God would tell us here? What do you think that the, would happen to London if they saw this? So I'll start with the concept of, what if we were a church that was like this? 
which, by the way, was the opposite of the Corinthian church that he's writing to. And then we can start going, well, if that's going to be what we should be as a church, the church is only made up of people. We have to be this for the church to be this. And this is how it starts. After love suffers long and is kind, it tells us love does not envy. And the word there is zelos, like we get the word zealous from it, zelahu. It literally means to be moved with or to roll over, like the idea of when water, you know, it's just about to boil and starts to kind of do that kind of movement stuff, you know, where if you actually do the wrong thing with it, where, you know, you put something like oil near it, it starts to pop in your face. You know, you kind of know this is the time to start dropping pasta. That's the idea. And God says, look at that should not be you or the church. The idea there was looking at somebody else, at somebody else's, and looking at it, and that's what makes the water boil. How come she gets, how come he gets to do? Why is it? And there is a real comparison. It is impossible to be jealous if you're not comparing yourself. Because if you're not in the picture, you can't be jealous of what they have. Because the problem with being jealous is you look at something and then you look at you and you don't have it. And then you wonder why in the world they have it when you think you should be more deserving. Interesting, by the way, you can't be jealous of something you don't want. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big coffee fan. I know that that probably doesn't shock any of you in here. So if you won a one million pound gift card for Starbucks, I am not going to beat my chest and wail over it. Some of you would be like, ah, I don't want to distract you. Some of you may like country and music. (laughs) If you won... A season ticket to the Dwight, Twilly, Winky, Tractor Pull, Meet Me, Divorce Me, COD, Rail Card, Willie, Jam Fest. I am not going to be grieving over that. Because I would not be jealous of something I don't want. Now some of you might be. But understand, it isn't the idea of not being jealous or envying. It's what we're jealous and envying over. Because Paul would say that he's jealous over these very same people. God says he's jealous. But you know, you can't be jealous over something you don't want. Do you know the only thing God is jealous over? Is you. Because the only thing he wants is you. It isn't like he wants your car or your travel pass. It isn't like he wants all your money. He wants you. If that's in the way, he wants it out of the way. What he wants is you. I'm like, oh, but if I gave God all of me, he would get blah, 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 blah. Chances are other people would get a lot of that stuff because he would use you to bless others. Do you have any idea how amazing it would be to be a blessing to others? It is impossible to be selfish and be a great blessing at the same time because you're too busy trying to bless yourself. Me too. So what if we as a church... We're not envious. Well, the first thing is we would never compare ourselves to another church. How many people you got? How big's your church? I like to tell people when they ask that, Jesus comes to our church. It can't get any bigger. They go, oh, that means you must have a small church. How big's your God? My Jesus is perfectly infinite. But wouldn't that be sad? You came in and we actually looked to see who was behind you because, you know, the more important thing was how many people you brought with you. Wouldn't that be sad? 
Could you imagine Jesus doing that? It's like, surely you showed up. Who'd you bring with? Could you imagine? Or we look and go, oh, but that church is, oh, that church is getting a new building. Oh. And that church has a really great praise team where that church does this. And you should see the laser light show. Boy, I tell you, when they do the tithing thing, you just throw your money and it floats in the air and it winds up in the coffer. It's amazing to watch. I mean, it's amazing what people could come up with. And you compare that and you go, why? Are we ever in competition with another church? Do you know that there are, at least from what we heard in the last census, as many as 14.95 million people in the greater metropolitan London area? There are more people in one square kilometer here than the entire town that I came from. <laughs> there are more people on a train. Well, you probably would have guessed that. In fact, most of the people of that 14.95 are probably on a train at the same time. 5 p.m. at Angel Station. And he starts with this of our eight. If we're really going to tell people we love them, it's got to be about them. So can imagine, if you will, that you actually said, Allie, I love you. And then Allie gets something, and you're like, oh, man, how come she got that? What I'm saying is, Allie, you are so important to me. And then she gets something, I'm like, yeah, but I should have that, not you. Could you imagine? How did I put Allie first there? I put her first in the standpoint of looking at her to go, how come you have, I don't. That's not putting her first. And we can do that as a church, we can do it as a family, and we can do it as individuals. And God doesn't call us to that. The bottom, but the bottom line, by the way, is if we truly find our contentedness, as David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, then we don't find ourselves rolling over all the time and bubbling over about stupid things that we won't even want once we get them. Did you guys have this problem? It's like, you know, you, what you do is you make, you, you know, if you had... You know, 15 of something, but one was a different color. You know, every kid in the classroom is going to want that one thing, right? And then if you've got 15 of those other ones in that first color and then put them in the other color, well, then what would happen? They would want the other one in that. This is, I mean, this happens with my socks. Like, they'll all be black and I'll have one blue pair, and I'll go, oh, the blue pair, that's a pretty awesome pair. Oh, oh, they're socks. Like, does it matter? They barely cover my feet. But I'm still that way when I think. It's like that one thing. And it's always looking for that one thing. And then you go, wow, I got this really cool thing. And we'll do this too. We'll compare. So we'll go, hey, check out this thing that I have. And we'll go, oh, yeah, we'll check out the thing I have. I have the Galaxy 65, whatever. And it, like, and it comes with a watch, you know, or whatever. And it's like, check this out. Boop, boop, boop. You know, it's like amazing what we can do at that moment. We're comparing. But understand here, you cannot compare and then walk arm in arm with the same person to, to be because you're too busy. The moment we start comparing, we've put them on the other side of a line. It's like a net in between us. And he says, look, at, that's not the action of love. The action of love should rejoice. Hey, you know, it's like on Tuesday we have a study, of course, for the West Enders. And, and, you know, and, and the cool thing about that, it's not only West Enders who come. You're certainly welcome to come. But what happens when 15 people audition for the same role and only one of them is going to be able to get it at best? It would be a miracle if any of the 15 got it, but would the other 14 rejoice? And we can all do that. And this is how he starts. So how do we deal with this? It's quite simple. We rejoice with other people's rejoicing. Well, could you imagine if we committed for even a week? There are eight things here, so you could commit one to a, to a day. Tonight could be your not being jealous night. Tomorrow could be the next one. I pray yourself. You say, tonight, I'm just going to go and look and see what 
other people are celebrating, and I want to celebrate with them because they're being blessed. Could you imagine what that would, you know what that would look like? That would look like one of the weirdest things you've ever seen. And it should. Because if we are content in Christ, then everything else is just icing anyways. And you're like, check out my icing. Well, check out my icing. Guess what? We both got iced. It's awesome. The second thing. Love doesn't parade itself. Well, this is a really fun word, by the way. Because it's almost like peri-peri. It's pepera, oh my. In this case, and, and, and please understand, the idea literally means across or beyond or farther over the thing than it should be. And the idea of this is kind of fun. Parading itself is actually pushing yourself farther than you would actually go. The way we might say it is exaggerate or elasticate. You know? And you ever see this when people, you ever see two guys that elasticate when they talk to each other? One guy goes like, well, you know, I was like hanging out the other day and I got in a fight with a couple guys. And he's like, well, that reminds me, I got in a fight with three guys. Oh, yeah, that reminds me of another fight I got in where there was like 16 guys. That reminded me when I fought the entire French army. You know, it's weird how that starts to work, right? And we're elasticating. Oh, I remember. And it's like, you listen to it. Some people, you listen to the stories. Every day it gets bigger. You know? In the beginning it was like, I, you know, I got in a fight with Hugo, but by next week I got in a fight with Goliath. You know what I mean? It was like, Peter. You know, that kind of thing. And parading itself is this, but can you see the comparison involved in that, by the way? Do you know how often this happens with married couples? Do you know how often the first thing happens with married couples? And the ironic thing about it is, if we're really supposed to be the couple we're supposed to be, it should be a blessing both ways. And crazy as it is how that separates the best of friends, because someone gets blessed by God. And here's the crazy thing. You get blessed by God, and then one of your friends turns into a curse. What kind of blessing is that? Two people are single and one winds up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and the other one kind of looks and says, oh, I hate you now. Why shouldn't you rejoice? Unless he's really terrible. I know people that are like that. They get in relationships. I just pray he's horrible just to show her. I'll show her. Hope he's a jerk. What? Really? Remember how we told us before this we were parts of the body? And when one, party rejo- one part of the body rejoices, the whole body should rejoice with it? Could you imagine... So Andrew goes in and he starts getting a hand massage at some place. And one hand is getting massage and the other hand is punching him in the face just because it's upset with the fact that one hand... That's kind of what the body does sometimes. That's kind of crazy. But the idea of parading itself is constantly throwing yourself over and beyond. Oh, we have to be beyond it. Let's be beyond it. And again, we're comparing. And again, there's a line drawn and it's me and it's all of you and I have to be the alpha. I have to alpha this. Because that's just not love. So we can do a whole sermon on why we're better than every other church? How stupid would that be? Because we're not. You know what all I want to be is the best that we can be. I want to be the best pastor that Christ could... I would love to be the best pastor on the earth, but I don't want to compare it to anyone else. I won't be because the best pastor that ever walked on the earth was Jesus, and there's no possible way I'll be that. I hope you're aware of that, by the way, just in case you have that expectation. Let's just lay that out right now. Put that to rest. Yeah, sorry. And so when we start trying to do this whole thing, what we're trying to think about, what we're trying to do is we're trying to win people to us, right? I mean, isn't that why we parade ourselves? Check me out, I'm awesome. Did I happen to mention I'm awesome? Hey, what do you think is awesome? Cool, I can do that too because I'm awesome. What do you like knitting? Oh my goodness, you should see me knit. I'm awesome. What do you do? Paintball. I paintball while I knit. I'm awesome. What's that? Bungee jump? I bungee jump while paintballing and knitting. The knitting. I knit the actual thing that holds my feet to pull me back up. 
I'm awesome. Like me. Like me, like me, like me. How does that possibly show we're content in Jesus? How does that possibly show he's enough? How does that bear the fruit of a place where God is all we need when we're too busy trying to get it from other people and competing with each other for it? And then one of my favorites here, the word to inflate, the word puffed up. The word, by the way, for parading itself is actually exclusive to this text. You won't find it else in Scripture. And the term puffed up here, well, it's kind of a fun one. Seven of the eight times you're actually going to find this word literally the way that it's written here without full conjugation is going to be in this book, by the way. This is the pufferfish church. By the way, it's also the fleshly church. It's the leavened church. It is the church of the pump. Pump you up. And that's the idea here. When he said, you know, there are people committing sexual morality, immorality, and he says, you guys are puffed up over it. Now, where I came from, by the way, when two guys looked like they were going to fight, they turned into pufferfish. You ever see this happen? And by the way, you can see this on trains. We call it peacocking today, right? A guy will be like this. And then a girl will kind of walk in, he's kind of cute, and all of a sudden he goes, it's amazing how his belly just came right up into his chest, right? It's like he just defied gravity. And he's like grabbing a hold of, you know, he's grabbing a hold of the two things like this, and he's like kind of pulling himself up. He's really not suspending himself just enough so the muscles are flexed, right? But he's trying, you know that part, guys? Okay, because I don't, I don't see it, right? But you know, where you're like trying not to look like you're standing right? And you're like, yeah, what's was that? You know, just kind of, and then, you know, she comes, and then the girl like leaves at the next step, and they're like, and you're back to like that, right? I you watch two guys and they're like talking and someone's like, I don't like you. And Austin's like, and they get like this. Oh, come on. Oh. Like this is the perfect fight position. Somebody's. What's somebody's? It's like, boom. And he goes, and he goes, you know what? We do that. We do it in other ways though. We all have something that will inflate us. So let's just put it in some form of category. Let's just say that, that Anna, for this moment, and Chrissy are walking someplace. And as they're walking someplace, they hear some lovely music in the background. It's like Vivaldi or something. And it's kind of one of those romantic moments as they're walking through there. And they see a couple of cute guys, and they just start to dance. Because they know, hey, you know, I can kind of dance. And of course, Anna's got this really special technique at the moment because she's got this cast on. So it's like, she ain't doing, she's not going to be on point at the moment, right? But what happens is, so, you know, and the idea of it is guys are kind of walking by, and as long as they start, and they slow down, and the moment they start slowing down, the girls know it's stage time. It's, it's go time. And it's like, you know what that means? And it's like, pff, 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 pff. now we got some more coming in there, right? And, but the problem is, is they're not only getting puffed up at this moment, but they're also parading themselves. You know what that means? As that means, if one's going to do a turn, the other one's going to do a double turn, and then the other one's going to do a triple turn, you know? And by the time they're done, it's like tornadoes are starting to happen in the room, right? And it's like, and it's like, it doesn't matter what it is that we have, everybody has a little something that we could go a little bit with. It's our acuteness, it's our intellect, it's our humor, it's our artistic ability, it's whatever it is. It's our swag. It's our little swag. And the, and the head gets a little like this or whatever. And you just know, starting to happen. And the world watches this. And let's be honest, should we expect the world to not do the things God says that we shouldn't do? That should be the norm in a world that doesn't really love the way that Christ calls us to love. Doesn't that make sense? 
So if all we all want to probably blend in with that world out there, we're going to do all the things he told us not to do here because this stuff is supposed to be freaky because we don't do it. Because everybody else does. And so someone will come in, and let's face it, you're, you're getting Egypt washed out of you. And me too, by the way. Every time we meet together, every time we're in the Word, every time we're in prayer, God is washing Egypt out of us, which means we got puffer fish in each one of us that God is starting to drive out of us, you know, one stream at a time. Most of us probably have like schools of puffer fish in us, and we just have to start getting them chased out. And so understand, you say, well, yeah, I went to church. And when I went to church, that person was like all about that. I'm like, yeah, of course. Welcome to the hospital. Sick people come in here. Well, I thought Christians didn't do that. Well, you know what? If we were actually Christ-like, I would agree with you. That's like, well, I thought well people didn't do that. Well, people still cough. Have you noticed that? Pray. We should pray. Well, people still get the sniffle sometimes. Still get indigestion sometimes. But I thought well people did were just perfectly well. Well, good luck with that. Did any of you come in to stay perfect? Okay, I just want to make sure none of you are delusional. You can't make it better to become more like Christ. But don't expect that out there. But they, you know what they see is they see churches going, check us out, we're better than that church. And you know, we are with a 16th Baptist church. Or, you know, it's like, well, how many churches are there? And like, I'm like, I've, I've been to places where it's like, this is the first Baptist church. I'm like, and I like to walk in and go, congratulations, you are the first Baptist church. Where's the second? Down the block. And there's the third. And there's the fourth. And I don't want to pick on the Baptists. We all do it. And we're puffing up. Check us out. You need to come to our thing because we're the cool thing. Because everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be important. But man, if you can't get it from Jesus, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to try to find it everywhere else. Because, listen, Jesus is bigger than everything else in the universe. So if you don't let Jesus fill the hole he made for himself, you will try everything else in the universe to fill it. That's a lot of work, and it still isn't big enough. So you're going to have to go, I mean, you're going for everything, and that's so much work you don't have time to realize how stupid we're being. You're like, just let Jesus actually be everything you need. Wouldn't that be amazing? So look at where we start with this. We started with three very simple statements and already I'm going, oh man, I think I need to go to the woodshed on this. And listen, it doesn't envy. It's not going to parade itself or puffed up. And then it says it doesn't behave rudely. Literally, and this is kind of a complex word, the word literally means not to hold in in figure or fashion. In other words, to behave rudely means to just step on whatever the decorum of the room is just for your own sake. It's the same word that was used in 1 Corinthians 7 when it says that if a man thinks he is behaving improperly towards a virgin, in other words, he's engaged but he's not acting proper towards it, it's like, you know what, and he thinks now maybe I should just back off and you should marry her is what you should do. And that's what we get with the first four. Now, by the way, one thing that becomes obvious in all of those is that it takes other people to do them. To behave rudely, how do you behave rudely by yourself? Who are you being rude to? Who are you puffing up for? Who are you parading yourself for? Could any of us possibly parade ourselves before the Lord? And that takes us, and we're halfway there. 
And then it says, does not seek its own. I really think that that is almost the apex of our mountain here. It is the umbrella that holds all of this together. If I didn't seek my own, I wouldn't do any of these things. Interesting, the term that's used. The first one, by the way, uh, u, by the way, is the negative. Then there's the word zetai, is the word for to seek. It also means to worship or to make something special beyond other things. So the idea of it's not seeking something that's just like, oh, I need some more dish soap. It's like, I've dreamt of getting this thing. And you're on Amazon every night to figure out where the best place to get it is. And you're comparing it. And you've done all this research and you're just like, oh, and you've got pictures of it all over your house. Oh, I just got to have this thing. That's the word Zetai. And then there's the words Ta, Yutis. The word Ta, by the way, is a definite article. It means the. And then the word Yutis means literally mine. So it literally means to chase after, to pursue with great value, the mine. Mine, 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 mine. That's the idea here. And imagine what that would mean is if we really were going to be like the world, then everything is about mine. It's my stuff. It's my, it's my friends. Don't you step in. That's my friends. It's my home. Don't be messing in. That's that. You say, yeah, it's because it's mine. See what I'm saying? And that's, like, that's how we start playing this whole thing. And you know what? It's like everything is mine. It's my church. This is my church. Don't you come in it. You're going to mess it up. I'm like, well, you're messing it up with the my church thing that way. Now, look at, there's a part where you say it's my church, and then what you mean by that is, you know, I feel a part of this. Praise God for that. It's your family. But there's a difference between that and pursuing the mine. I'm pursuing something so it could be mine. So everyone can note, <coughs> check out the mine. <coughs> this thing's got a P and a T on it for a reason. This is mine. And you know that's what happened. So you know what happens? You want to have a Bible study somewhere. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to own it. You want to have a Bible study somewhere and someone calls up and says, excuse me, why are you having that in my neighborhood? When we first came here, we actually spoke with a couple of the uh, priests, the vicars. And we said, by the way, we're really looking for it. Because we said, you know, I... Could we possibly use your fellowship for in the afternoon for a service at a time when you're not using it? And one of the particular people, and I won't say who because it's, that would be dumb, um, just said, "Why in the world?" She said, "Why in the world would we need another church in Camden?" And it fell out of my mouth. I just have to confess, it fell out of my mouth before I had a chance to filter it. I said, when was the last time you went for a walk on a Friday night through the town? I said, are all those prostitutes and drug dealers going to your church? Are they getting Jesus? And I said, you know what? This is, uh, um, no, that's not really the kind of people who go to our church. I says, well, then I guess there's room for me because that's the kind of people I want in my church. But then guess what I just said? Mine. I was like, dang it. Be warm to feel that. I love you, bro. It's like, you know what? And it's not like, and then we could go, well, check us out. We're cool because we're like, no, no, no. You know what? Jesus is awesome. And Jesus makes you awesome because he died on the cross so that you could be his. But pursuing the mind? Hey, you know what? When someone, when we heard even in this fellowship, 
that the church that hosts us here was trying to find another church, and they literally called it Like Shoreline. Can you imagine? We wouldn't find a church that's, you know, from our denomination, Like Shoreline. You know, thinking, I'm like, praise the Lord, man. Not like we're the most awesome thing. I, to be honest, is, are we the most awesome church? For me, we are. I mean, I would go to this church even if I wasn't the pastor. Of course, then it would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, I love what we get to do here. I love what God is doing. I love how he's teaching us how to do this or not do this in this case. But it's like, you know what? There's, I mean, hey, if there was a Bible study and it was a real Bible study and people were really preaching the gospel and they really believed that beautiful book that they were reading and they really were out there trusting, man, you know what? Praise the Lord. And you know what would happen if, if, if every person started a, such a Bible study and there were a million of those people here? Praise the Lord. I would celebrate and I'd say, well, where else is there then? Let's go and let's grab some people and let's go someplace else and start doing it where it isn't happening. You know, I mean, let's face it, with that many, that's still almost 15 people at church. And by the way, that's about the average size of a church that doesn't own a building in, this, in Camden. Did you know that? So there you go. And that would be enough for at least one pastor to be able to serve 15 people well. How cool would that be? Because you know what would happen? It couldn't stop there. Then people in London would start going out to the rest of the world because you couldn't just stay here and do that. You can't be those lepers who discover that God has set everyone free and you to go and gorge yourself on all of the benefit and not tell everyone else who's starving. Man, what if we were like that? I mean, what if we were really the kind of people where we really actually sought to love each other the way God says here? Wouldn't that be crazy? Remember when it talked about the church in the beginning, how it said no one said that what they possessed were their own? Could you imagine? I mean, they, they were like, you know what, I have extra of this. I don't need it. Just take it, man. Sell it and give it to someone poor. Make sure, but do it in Jesus' name. That's the idea here. And then my favorite term in all of these things. And you can compare how this looks because this is, by the way, the face of the church ultimately is going to be those that seek Jesus or they're going to be those that are out there trying to promote it some other way. And it says it's not provoked. Ready? Here's the word. And this is kind of even a fun word. Um, the word towards where this parazuntai in this case. But it comes from the word para, which means beside, and the word oxus. Could you say oxus? Oxus, by the way, ultimately will be the word that gets derivated from where we get the word acid from. And that's kind of a fun thought. It's almost like peroxide is almost kind of the word you're getting here. And the, and the idea of it is kind of simple because the first part para means alongside, and the other word means to be sharp or to pour or to be pointy or to exasperate. And, and, and think of it this way. It's like you're a human bowl of acid. That's the idea of this term being provoked. And imagine the idea of it. And you imagine you're the human acid bowl. Somebody bumps into you and you're like, Bleh! you just like dump caustic verb all over them. Caustic look. That's right. That's the thing we do here in London. That's like where I came from. That came with yelling and hands on hips. So the whole look thing doesn't get to me as much until it starts going. And then, you know, it's like, it's like the siren goes, and then it starts happening. You know, so I, I remember the first time someone gave me a look, and I, I just waited for the hands, and I was like, wow. And I, I, actually, I was actually writing, Jesus died for you and rose to be your Lord. He died for your sins, rose to be your Lord. And I wrote it on the front of a bus when it was fogged up on the second story of it, you know, like on the upper deck. I was just kind of excited about it. And I, this woman kind of, she stood up, and she looked at me. And I waited, I waited, I waited for the hands, I waited for the, and it didn't happen. And I was like, that's it? I, I couldn't help but say it. Which the woman was like, and she just sat down. She didn't have anything left to do. 
And so some guy walked around and he goes, oh, how retarded. <laughs> Could you imagine that poor man's going to have to stand before God and God's going to go, hey, before you talk about how good of a guy you are, let's roll film on this moment on a bus. <laughs> Provoked. Are you a bowl of acid waiting to spill on someone? Okay, I have to tell it. You know what's going to happen. Um, went to get an iPad 2, a used one, right? And the purpose was to be able to, because we can load these pedals on it and you actually use it to modify the sound of the guitar. Really cool thing. Anyways, well, all that said, I dropped by one of those local places where they exchange computers and I went, you know, and traded in an old one that I did, a, a regular iPad, and traded in for this thing. And it was locked to a particular, uh, locked to a particular phone carrier. So you know what that means. You have to go to that phone carrier and uh, get the, you know, whatever, to activate a SIM so you can actually use it. So it's cellular as well. And so I, while they were kind of checking the one I was handing in to make sure it worked right and all of that stuff, I went to the local one of these particular ones, stood in line, by the way, in the queue for about 45 minutes and never got to the front. And I remember this is the text I have to read, right? Not provoked, not provoked, not provoked. Suffers long and is kind, not provoked. Of course, and you know, you know what the problem is? This is why it says be careful about teaching. You'll receive a stricter judgment. You think it's just from you? Well, the Lord keeps putting this back and he's like, okay, PT. All right, here we go. Provoked? You a bowl of acid right now? I'm like, no, that's cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I'm cool. I'm just going to stand here. And I'm like, mm, I got to go back. Well, there you go. And then I just turned around and said, have my place in the line. And I felt like I was such a martyr, right? Oh, look at how great I was. Because I, I, you know. And they're like, line. I'm like, cute. Stand in the queue. All right. So if I went then back to the place, picked up this thing, paid the small amount of money, and off I went. And then I'm like, okay, so, but the thing wouldn't work. Uh, and so I went to this particular carrier today, spent another three and a half, four hours after all of this in there. Couldn't get it to work. Went to another place. Couldn't get it to work. Amazing. So I finally went back to this particular store and just said, um, this thing's not working. And the guy goes, and it was another one of these chains. And so the guy kind of looked at it, and he was like, you know the kind of right guy? Because he like, looks like a hipster, you know? The greatest guy to have deal with something like this. He's got the beard and the mustache, and he actually strokes it like this, you know, with the glass. And so, and his hair pulled back in a ponytail, and it's like, cool. So, <laughs> anyway, so he goes, and he goes, oh, you know why? Because this is stolen. <laughs> Just started laughing. I this is the most absurd thing. I'm a pastor. What am I doing with a stolen iPad? He's like, well, it doesn't work. He's like, oh. Now, understand, right before that, I had already had to buy this particular, and this sounds really dumb. I'm just trying to show you how this pertains to my own life, uh, in a day's, all in a day's work. And, uh, and they, you had to buy this sort of SIM card to be able to use it for this thing. Well, they wouldn't refund it because the SIM card worked. The problem was the unit. <laughs> so I'm like, oh. And the, guy, and the guy waited. I watched him. He waited for me to explode because he was with me for two hours trying to make this work. And finally, he's like, there's no way. I can't give you any money back. It's not, it's, the problem's not this. It's not me, it's you. You know, that kind of thing. And, and I just watched this, and, and like the Lord went, provoked. And I was like, de-acidify me, God, right now. You know? I mean, and like nothing you can say is going to, this poor guy isn't, you know, he's just a, a puppet, has to do his job. And just as that, that was the case, and I'm just like, Lord, make me a Christian here. I want to act like you. A guy turns around and he goes, Brother! And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me at this moment? And it was somebody that had gone to rewire the dancer church thing. I had met the first time, and his name is Moses, just to make it even better. All right? I kid you not. 
And he gives me this big hug and he goes like, hey, everybody, this is a Christian pastor. You know, <laughs> this kind of thing. And I was like, Lord, thank you for de-acidifying me, acidifying me <laughs> before I had a real chance to do something. So, but then I, I probably wouldn't have, but boy, the Lord, I'm like, the Lord just covered it. He poked a hole in it all, leaked out before all of that could happen. And I walked out there, thank you, Lord, for all that. Thanks, Lord. Can we, you know, it's like, can you be provoked? Or is there acid in you waiting to dump? Could be your words. You say it to a friend, you say it to your spouse, you say it to whoever, and you know, you know that when you say it, it's going to burn them. And people say, ooh, burn. Right? That look is going to burn. You could text it, but it's a text that says, ooh, burn. And you know it. And you could play dumb, but God ain't fooled. Because provoked isn't just that, you know, someone you just turn into the Hulk. Provoked is just any time you know that what you're doing is going to burn someone. That's the idea here. And let's face it. That's what the world does, and it shouldn't surprise us. You know, when I fought competitively, they, people would study you to find out what previous injuries you had, and that's where they aimed, because they wanted to win the fight. Does that make sense? Because the only thing that mattered to them wasn't me, it was winning. I was in the way of them winning. I watch couples do this. It makes me sick to my stomach. Because what happens is a husband or a wife gets vulnerable enough to say, here are my previous injuries. And the other person logs them in. And they know at that moment when all they want to do is win the fight, they whip that out and they touch that spot and they go for that spot because they know it's going to burn. Friends do it with friends. People do it with people. Do you know what I'm talking about? God says that's straight out of hell. That's what that is. And that is not what we're supposed to be about. Instead of cursing, should come blessing. We're supposed to pray for those who spitefully use us. And not pray like those imprecatory prayers. They're like, sure, I'll pray. God breaks their teeth in their mouth. See, I'm praying for them. God's like, that's acid. That's acid coming out of your mouth and you know it. God is not into that. What God wants is for us to bless those who curse us and pray for those who spitefully use us. Do you realize you go, that is weird. You know why it's weird? What means that it's weird is that the world doesn't do it. And that is why it's weird. And that's why we're supposed to do it because it looks like Jesus. And Jesus, if you like it or not, is weird because he doesn't look like the world. You got it? Oh, if we could be this. Acid-free, full of blessing. Remember Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks? Not just that there's a little bit in there, so it's going to spill. If it's spilling, it's because it is overflowing. Your mouth is the overflow valve of your heart, as is mine. And I can convince myself I'm awesome until something falls out of my mouth, and I'm like, where did that come from? And God says there's no room for provocation. And people love to play this one. You ready? But Jesus did this. When? when he turned the tables upside down. And you know, it, you, all you have to do is watch any portrayal of this, and this is what it looks like. It looks like Jesus needed an anger management class. 
Jesus walks into the temple. It's like a farmer's market. People are, buy my pot, buy my pot. Who wants to buy my pot? Get your lamb, get your lamb. Who wants a lamb? Get your lamb. And Jesus looks around and he starts to shake and he starts to roil and it starts, the water starts to, 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 to furrow up. And finally he's just like, Aah! and he turns green and his shirt rips off and he's just like, like that. And then after that, if you watch the movies, you know what happens in every one of the movies? Then the disciples, if you've seen this, they all get around him to protect him. Do you ever see this? And then they're all like, oh my goodness, the disciples are protecting God because he just turned into the Hulk? And people go, see, Jesus lost his temper. I could do it. He didn't sin. But wait a minute, it's his outbursts of wrath are actually a work of the flesh. It's a sin. Then you actually need to read the Bible again. All of it, the part in Mark where we read that Jesus actually didn't do it on Sunday, he did it on Monday. You see, on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, he came in bawling his eyes out. You'll see that in Luke. And when he came in bawling his eyes out, he says he took a look around, and because it was late, he went away. Stayed up on the Mount of Olives, by the way, in Bethany, assumedly with Lazarus and his family. And it's a good place to stay. Everyone else wants to kill you. You raise this guy from the dead. It's a little bit more of a nice house to live in. And the next day, he goes down there. And this is a calculated event. Jesus, imagine, can you imagine? You go and you show up at church, and the whole thing is like selling this and selling that, and nobody can pray because everybody's shouting over each other, right? And then after all of that, Jesus comes back and he goes, Father, what is this? What do we do? You can imagine Dad says, I want you to flip some tables. I want you to open up some animals. Right? And you can see Jesus going, but will my disciples protect me? No, that's not what he's asking. Right? Wouldn't he say, I could call down 12 legions of angels if I really need this? And when he does it, listen, listen, listen. Once he flips those tables and tells them, get this out of here, it says, then the lame and the blind came to him and he healed them. Now, if you just turn into the Hulk, which blind guy is going to come to you after that? Which lame guy is going to go, drag me to that guy? He's still beating people up. I want to be next. Really? So don't get it twisted. The truth of the matter is Jesus, look at I would imagine that would have been one of the hardest things Jesus ever had to do. But it was his house to clean out, and he was kicking out of his house what didn't belong in his house so that people could do what he wanted done in his house, which is pray, which was be with him. So understand that Jesus was not a bull of acid waiting to dump on anyone. Imagine the acid he could have dumped. He could have dumped anything on him. He's like, oh yeah, wait till you see what I reign next. But he kept his silence. Okay, let's close this up, beloved. Because in the end of it all, I mean, if we just said, all right, Lord, let me be a person that's acidless this week. And what I say, let it be full of eternity, full of salt. Not acid, but full of salt, where it speaks of eternity. And everything I say, let it be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so I would know how to answer each other. What would it, that would be the case if we did that. You know what would happen? More people would want to listen to us. So the last two, things no evil. By the way, the idea of it, legitzatai, by the way, um, which just means bad. It's, it's, it's just bad. And the idea of it is assumes the worst. You know, quick to hear gossip. We would believe anything if it was evil. To think evil means you think the worst of it. You know what's amazing? 
is you can actually have a guy and he's a construction worker or he's a fishmonger or he's a whatever, and he's like been with his wife for 30 years or whatever and so forth, and someone starts a rumor, and people are like, oh, I don't know if that would be the case. That's old Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't do that. But any pastor, someone goes, I heard that, and they're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. It's amazing how quickly that happens. The Bible says, by the way, not to entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's by two or three witnesses. Now, I don't have a vested interest at this moment in that. No one's doing that. But I want you to know, that's what Scripture says. And I think that's one of the reasons is because people are so quick to just believe any rumor started about somebody in ministry. But it's not just that. They'll do it with you, too. And then last, it doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Literally, to be cheerful or feel well-off about unrighteousness. So listen. What would a church look like that didn't act jealously comparing it with other churches and other people? What would a church look like if it didn't promote itself? Like what we really want to see is, what we want you to know is the church instead of Jesus. What would the church look like if it didn't make itself look bigger than it actually was? You know what that's like, right? Have you ever gone looking for a place to live? And they're like, wow, that place looks like a palace. And it's actually one room shot with a fisheye lens from three different angles. Have you ever done that? And you like walk in the room and you're like, I don't think there was enough room to take all three of these pictures in this room. I'm like, my feet are touching both walls. We could do that too. What would it look like if the church was one that wasn't trying to break from God's fashion to look like the world, to look like other things? By the way, could you imagine we're acting rude to God? Can you imagine what it would look like if the church was one that didn't live to seek the mine? You didn't hear the word mine. What if the church didn't look like something that was an overflowing bowl of human acid? What if the church was one that didn't look like something that entertained the harmful, the hurtful, the mean? What if the church was one that didn't cheer just because injustice happened or unrighteousness was taking place? And I remind you, this was a church here that celebrated a guy that was sleeping with his mom. That were suing each other. They were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, Kephas, I'm of Jesus. We were all about divisions. We were all about comparisons. And all that was was a church that just looked like the world. So you understand, this isn't supposed to be some place that's a small step away from the world. This is not supposed to be the place where you would walk in and not know you're at church. This is supposed to look like heaven. This is supposed to be the closest thing that a sinner can get to heaven until they get there. Because this is the one place where the congregation of the saints exists. And when we get together, we want to surrender ourselves with Christ to be at the lordship of it. Could you imagine what that would look like if when people came in here, it wasn't like we're like, you know, we don't want you to really know what's church. Oh, I want you to know what's church. And I want you to know what church is, is a place of a hospital where the sick get well. And it's a place where those that are getting well learn their ministry and hear their calling and get activated and get deployed and become students of the living God and serve one another and celebrate. Don't just seek to, to constantly dig in the dirt or try to drink to forget or run away from. Oh, that's all been laid to rest by the blood of Christ. And now we celebrate the life. We look forward and we say, look at this life. I don't have to compare with you. Look at my life is lavish and good. I've been surrounded and covered in the blood of Christ. I am spoiled rotten when it comes to the goodness of God in my life. It is, un, it is almost unfathomable how good God has been to me. 
And if you're jealous, well, let go back a couple verses. You should be the same. And not because he wired you to be some form of like person on, you know, Red Bull or whatever, but because in the end of it all, our life is supposed to be one where when the world is seeking the universe to fill it and we have the one thing that does fill that hole in us, that we should look different from them, right? And I go, wow, how come you got, how come you got, how come that church does, why do they do that? In the end of it all, what we should be is people that are so busy celebrating Christ, we don't have time for that. Imagine if two of you are on the table. All of a sudden, Daniela and Lauren are both in surgery, and it's one of those rooms in a second world country where the both tables are next to each other. Lauren and Daniela are both open. I mean, they are cut open. You know, people are holding up flesh and all of this. And the both and the two surgeons are busy saving their lives. And all of a sudden, one doctor looks at the other doctor and he goes, "Where'd you get that scalpel?" Oh, I got it at EliteDoctorsRUS.com. You have to be a part of a club to do it. Elite doctors. I don't have one of those. You can't either. This is only for elite doctors. By the time they're done arguing over this scalpel, both of them die. And if somebody wanted, if somebody wanted to kill Lauren and Daniela, they could dress up like a nurse, go into that room, and get the two doctors to compare scalpels. Right? Listen to that again. If somebody wanted to kill Lauren and... I'm not giving, this is not clues. This is not encouraging you. That's not the point. What do you think the enemy does? Comes in like a nurse, tries to get people to compare over their scalpels while people die around us that we're supposed to be dealing with. Isn't that crazy? How could we possibly rejoice in someone else's destruction? How could we possibly, when God takes no delight in the death of the wicked? You're like, well, they got theirs. God's like, you didn't get yours. Jesus got yours. Please hear me. What if tonight we prayed a dangerous prayer? Eradicate this completely from my life and let me love like you call me to love. Could you imagine what would happen? We would giggle over each other. What if we just committed to just rejoicing over the other person's blessings? Wouldn't that be a great start? To be de-acidified we wouldn't compare at all, but rather just rejoice with them. And we wouldn't think the worst, but rather we hoped for the best. We prayed for the best. What do you think would happen? Oh my goodness. You know what, what it would, would happen? We'd start looking like the church God intended. We'd start looking like the Christians God intended. And that's what I believe he wants to do tonight. Remember how it started with saying we could do all this religious stuff even, but it really won't amount to anything if there's no love. So imagine, listen, let's put those two things together. And then we'll pray. Listen to this. So, what if I spoke in tongues? What if I could prophesy? What if I understood all mysteries? I could tell you every prophecy and exactly how it plays out in modern day. But if I had total knowledge, I could walk you through everything. Original languages, archaeology, it doesn't matter. I had all of that. And faith that could move mountains. Man, I had such a faith, I could wave my coat and every one of you would fall over, start to sweat. What if I actually gave up everything? 
And I walked around as a vagabond, a mendicant, a homeless guy, just sharing, you know, just walking around, talking about all of the sacrifices I've made. What if I did all of that, but I did it in such a way that I envied others, and so I was trying to do it to prove them wrong. You know, Paul said that, remember? He said, there are some who preach the gospel assuming to add further insult to my injury in essence. What if I did it to parade myself? So why the reason I did it is because I really want you to make a documentary called PT is Awesome. Look at him, this selfless guy. Hold on, today I'm going to get totally selfless. I'm going to give something to a homeless guy. Could you make sure you get a a close-up of this? And you know this happens. And then we puff it up. And then we behave so rudely. You know what? Listen. When you want to tell somebody that Jesus loves them, but their definition of love isn't this definition of love, because let's face it, we have a hard enough time with it, and we actually have it in front of us. We should listen. We should listen to how a person was abused as a child. How a person's been divorced. And the heartache of that, the torture of that. You should listen to the gal who says she's had an abortion. The guy says he's struggling with homosexuality. The person that actually says, I'm cutting you. The person that says, you know, I really just want to kill myself tonight. How many of those people are going to tell you that in a two-minute conversation? And I agree, we need to get the gospel out. But I pray for, just like my children, teachable moments, those open moments. And sometimes it's just sitting with someone long enough for them to actually let the wall down a bit. And so you risk it. So what does that tattoo mean? Let's face it, that's an easy intro. How about those marks on your wrist? Where did those come from? Can I ask? You look like you've been crying. Can I ask? Shoulders are a little heavy today. But I can't do that in front of everybody. Now, that, who would tell you? And you can't do that in front of a crowd. You took three guys and every one of them is like Mr. Tuffy in front of you and you pull them off one by one. You ask, so how tough are you? Tough. Are you tough enough to tell me what you're most afraid of? Are you scared to tell me? Because it's moments like that that we just say, no, I've never been raped or I've never been whatever, tried to kill myself. But I do know the person who wants to heal you of that. And the same person that was yelling about how Jesus was infected by nanobots to do his miracles how he's from some outer space place just outside of Thor's homeland or something. Starts to listen for the first time because actually, actually listening. You know the difference is? It takes personal investment. And boy, the Lord wants that because he did. You ever wonder why he told people after they were healed not to go tell others? It's like a guy had one leg and he says, don't go tell him now that you're actually running running track. It tells us in Mark because at that point he could no longer have one-on-ones with people. He actually went out to deserted places and people found him there and he still couldn't have one-on-ones with people. See, the idea was, Jesus is like, I don't need you to promote me. Please don't promote me. 
Then he had to turn to his disciples and say, I don't need you to protect me either. Stop protecting me. Peter, I have to go fix that guy's ear now. Don't do that again. But understand, if Jesus' ministry was what we should be shooting for, then the megachurch is a terrible model where you can go and watch a screen coming attractions next week like a trailer and then so forth. And I don't want to try to pick on all of that. I could just tell you, look at Jesus didn't do that. You know what Jesus did? He sat alone with people. He sat alone with a woman and his disciples were afraid to ask, why are you talking to her? That's a girl and she's a Samaritan and she's by a well where, pe- where women look for men. But they didn't even ask. It's a crazy thought. What if we did that? Do you know what happened? We wouldn't look so awesome to the world, but we sure would look awesome to the Lord. Because you know what we'd be doing? We'd be loving people. And that's not the pastor's job. That's the Christian's job. I just happen to be one too. So I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me. You know what? We almost feel guilty. Because it's like, I didn't go and share Jesus with a million people. Maybe you have the gift of evangelism and he's called you to do that. Well, then do it. But he's called us all to be evidence. Just be faithful to where he puts you. Just be faithful to where he puts you. Because the people you're going to reach, that the Lord's going to reach through you, may not be my people. That's the cool part. Because I can't be everywhere at once. I'm not Jesus. And I know you all know it. So pray with me, would you please? That we could actually love the unlovable and stop comparing with those that we, we, we shouldn't be anything. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, that you you don't envy. You never looked and said, how can they have and I don't? You said foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests and you have nowhere to lay your head. You didn't envy someone's palace. The high priest had a palace. You didn't. Ironic. You didn't envy anyone's chariot. You didn't envy anyone's anything. You didn't his life. You never paraded yourself. Interesting, the one parade that seems like you had was Palm Sunday and you were crying because people were parading you for a reason that you didn't want to be paraded for. You never puffed yourself up. You never behaved rudely. You've told us knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Same puff-up word. We don't want to just have a bunch of knowledge and then become puffer fish like hedgehogs where we're impossible to get near because we're too smart. You didn't seek your own. You sought us. We would become your own. And how many times people have provoked you, but you would not spill the acid on them like you could. How you didn't think the evil, plot the evil, plan the evil, logic that, that evil. And I know, Lord, that we could be guilty of that. Someone wrongs us and we are judge and jury and executioner. 
we planned the whole thing out in our head, what we would say and how we would burn and we'd take them down and how we would make sure that in the end of it all, they will pay. And we fantasize about how someone could get theirs. But that's thinking evil, and we don't want to think evil. <clears throat> Even for those, Lord, who have sinned against us and done horrible things, Lord, let us be people that act like you who would say even from the cross while hanging from nails and rope, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You never rejoiced in iniquity. Somebody else's destruction, any injustice, we didn't point and laugh. We weren't the kind of person that would laugh at a person who falls on their way into a train. Even if the person were rude before that point. Lord, we would be people who aren't comparing to others because we're too busy serving them and making them important. We're not busy promoting ourselves because we want to make big of you, Jesus. We're told to magnify the Lord. And I don't know how to magnify infinity, but clearly I could make you too small in my own life. I don't want to make myself look bigger than I am because the truth is is that I'm a sinner saved by grace, but you are infinite, so I can't make you any bigger than you are. You're the one thing I can't make bigger than you really are. I don't want to be rude, Lord. Give me a heart that's full of compassion, not acid, but a heart that's willing to listen, even to people who would irritate or challenge me or prick me wrong or whatever but that I would be able to have the compassion to listen with an open heart and seek how to insert you properly I don't want to live to seek the mind I don't want the word mind to be the word on my lips but rather you Jesus your name Jesus that would be the word on my lips I don't want to spend my time entertaining the harmful, the hurtful, the mean, to plan and plot, even if it's just in my head. But I'd rather take that same creativity and plan to see how I could be used to bless others. Make me that kind of Christian. Jesus, I confess that you died on the cross for me. <clears throat> you were absolutely selfless, completely surrendered. And you did it, Jesus, so that I could be yours. You gave yourself, laid down your life for my sake. Teach me to do that. Make me such a person. And as you died on the cross for my sins, and all of my guilt died there, and you rose again just like you promised on the third day to give me new life, my new life is not supposed to look like my old one. So it's just not about me anymore. It's about you now. And I know that if I'm infected with you, and your Holy Spirit's inside of me, you would bear forth a fruit that is necessary, and that fruit would look like a place that people wish they were. So Lord, make me such, I pray. As I confess you, Jesus is more than my Savior, but my Lord, now Lord me, Lord. Lead me and guide me to be a blessing. And I commit this church, myself, precious flock that's yours they belong to you and I commit them to you along with myself confessing you as Savior and Lord Jesus have your way with us now we pray in your name Amen